The Midday Report. I'm Mandy Wiener. Keep listening as we round up the key stories affecting your world with interviews with newsmakers, in-depth analysis and eyewitness news reporters on the ground. The Midday Report. But first, ESCOM's acting CEO, Caleb Kasim, telling South Africans that we can expect a difficult winter. We could go as far as stage eight. He gave an update on the electricity grid earlier today, saying the country was going into winter with 3,000 megawatts less than we did last year. That's because three power generation units at Kusile, one at Kuburg, were offline as well. ESCOM's chairperson, Mpo Makwana, also speaking earlier today, responding to everything that's come out about Andre Dereta, the former CEO, uh, the fact that we've got these developments taking place in Parliament, Scopa holding the hearings, the tell-all book, which dropped on Sunday morning as well. Mpo Makwana saying that uh, Andre Dereta breached Personal Protection Act, evaded security checks. So have a listen to what he's been saying. Numerous arrests and prosecutions are underway. People are being brought to book before the courts. We also take note of what the former GCE said in his book. It must be noted and placed on record that trust was broken by him uh, making uh, those uh, public statements and the publication of the book. And this trust was broken in the most repulsive manner possible. Transgressions uh, in the duration and in the, in the course of publishing this book Transgressions were carried out by an executive who was in a fiduciary position, in possession of proprietary information of a national key point, who himself evaded being vetted by processes uh, that involve uh, our National uh, Security Services Agency, and most importantly, breach where breaches occurred in terms of the personal of protection, uh, personal of uh, protection of personal information act, various aspects of an executive director's duties as defined in the Companies Act, the PFMA, and his own contract of employment losses on confidentiality. That is the ESCOM chairperson, Paul Makwana, speaking earlier today. Newsroom Africa reporter Govan Whittles in that press conference. Govan, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. Give us a sense of how bad the picture is going into winter. What is ESCOM saying? It's a terrible picture, uh, Mandy, and it's really just about bracing for a cold, dark winter. Stage 8 seems an inevitability, not only because... Kusile has three units down and Kubrick isn't online, but because they've managed to lower the energy availability factor from 60% down to to 52%. It was 56%, uh, but they were supposed to be at 60 Essentially, that means they're not generating as much energy as they thought they would, even at the bare minimum um, projection that they made at the last state of the system uh, briefing. So today's briefing was just terrible. The outlook uh, was one that the ESCOM executives apologized for. And they're going further this time. They now want South Africans to stop charging their inverters after load shedding ends because they say it's creating a new peak period uh, where demand is too high. Essentially, they're telling us to brace for stage eight load shedding, um, but they can't say how many hours of power cuts that would entail. Uh, only that they hope it won't happen, but it probably will, because they're averaging load losses of between 15 and 16,000 megawatts uh, right now. That's that's what takes us to stage six. 
mm. and they're expecting that to climb to, to 18 megawatt, um, 18,000 megawatt hours uh, or megawatt losses um, as we go into a higher demand during winter. Govan, how much of this briefing was consumed by the Andre Dereta story and what's been happening over the past few days with the book release and the Scopa hearings? Not much of it. It was only um, addressed through those initial comments by the board chairperson, Paul Makwana, and then uh, in a follow-up question, they were quite careful to insist that they're having senior counsel, legal uh, minds looking at the uh, consequences of what they deemed breaches of um, the confidentiality clauses in his contract. Essentially, uh, they believe that he may have breached the, the um, three-month uh, window period um, or even uh, a longer window period that exists after he leaves ESCOM. They're careful to say that they that they will press criminal charges or if they won't press criminal charges at this stage. Looks like they're taking it very seriously. But just the, the magnitude of the bad news around the fact that this winter will be so devastating mm. in South Africa in terms of energy supply overshadowed uh, what ESCOM's, uh, or what the scandal is around the uh, revelations in Andre Dereta's book. Govan, thank you. Govan Whittles, Newsroom Africa reporter, speaking to us there about that ESCOM briefing today. Does it make you feel better that ESCOM has warned us? We know it's ominous. They've told us we could go as far as stage eight. They've said it's going to be a difficult winter. Does that give you some comfort that at least you can prepare, you can plan, or is it just unacceptable at this point? And then on the other hand, you've got the ANC Secretary General, Fakile Mbalula, saying... Don't worry, load shedding will be a thing of the past by the end of the year, which just does not seem rational whatsoever. The Midday Report. It's been two years since that uh, fire at the Charlemagne Johannesburg Academic Hospital. And today that hospital is getting a new multi-million rand store facility. The uh, old special dispensary stores were destroyed by that fire. So the health minister, the Gauteng MEC, gift of the givers today, handing over that new state-of-the-art general stores. Motanetale Modiba is the Gauteng health spokesperson. Motanetale, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time today. Uh, tell us about this new stores facility. Was it a, um, a, a collaboration between Gift of the Givers and government? How did it work? Thank you, Mendy, for affording us this uh, opportunity. Well, this is one of those uh, classical um, public-private partnerships that I think demonstrates what can be achieved um, within the public health sector and maybe in other sectors when there is um, clear collaborations. So essentially... Uh, as you've rightly described, that following the fire incident which destroyed the then uh, dispensary stores, uh, the gift of the givers came on board and said, look, we want to also meaningfully contribute. And um, part of that contribution is that today we are unveiling a 3,500 square meter um, general stores, which is double the size of what we had before. In fact, uh, the stores is now in a new location in a separate building um, we've taken into consideration the lessons we've learned from the fire. So it's a state-of-the-art general stores because it's got inside compartments. It's able to isolate certain sections because you'll recall that the stores is used to store various consumables that are used within a hospital environment. And therefore, a, a facility like Charlotte Matrike would have needed bigger, uh, a bigger capacity. I'm told that uh, this particular stores it's one of the biggest, if not the biggest, in the country that we currently have that is uh, located at a hospital. So Gift of the Givers has come on board. They've actually contributed about $60 million 
towards building a new stores. Security-wise, it's well secured uh, in terms of its features, in terms of the, 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 the space that is inside mm. for us, for the hospital to be able to store different consumables within the particular facility. Uh, and is the hope, Musaratale, that this will alleviate some pressure uh, in, in, in the ability to at least keep this kind of, of facility on uh, at the hospital? Yes, actually, what it's going to do is that it's going to assist because it means now the hospital can afford to uh, keep their stock, um, you know, and, and, and stock ahead instead of running out of stock. They now have a sufficient capacity for them to be able to uh, keep the critical uh, consumables that they need uh, within their, 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 their clinical environment. So it's it, 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 um, an intervention that we welcome from the government's point of view because I think it will go a long way in terms of improving even the quality of health care that is provided to those that depend on Charlotte Makaike for, for services. We know that Charlotte Makaike does not only service residents of Gauteng, but it also provides services to residents from other provinces mm. and sometimes even from other countries. Yeah. Uh, while I have you, uh, I just want to ask you yes. a quick question, if you don't mind, yes. about uh, the issue with nurses. Uh, Denosa yes. saying that uh, there are healthcare workers um, who have not been paid. Can you give us some clarity on that? Yeah, look, we can confirm that um, we have um, medical officers, dentists and nurses who are part of the COVID-19 contracted employees. You recall that in early this year, we did announce that uh, surgery has uh, allocated us about 600 million for us to be able to at least keep some of those COVID-19 posts. So because their contracts had terminated, they had to be onboarded. And part of that onboarding mean, means that they had to then now undergo a full recruitment process, which has led to those administrative challenges in terms of delaying the payment for the previous month. But we've already made a commitment as a department that uh, within the next two weeks, the payment should be cleared because uh, we've been working hand in hand with our e-government department and also provincial treasury in terms of processing um, their, 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 their documents and, and all other things that need to be processed. So the delay has been because of the fact that they had to then be on board afresh. So we had to advertise, then recruit them again, uh, those that qualify to can actually be on board, given that we were given, the, we were given those um, uh, limited budget. We want to apologize for the inconvenience. We know that it's not an ideal um, situation, but in this instance, it's not because there's no money. Their money is there, and they will indeed be paid uh, within the next two weeks. We just apologize because it's not an ideal situation to be inconveniencing them yeah. because the last thing we want is for our health workers to be worried about the, the payments of various their bonds and various other things uh, while providing care to uh, the people of Gauteng. Okay. Motsalatale, thank you very much. Motsalatale Modiba, Gauteng Health Spokesperson, speaking to us there about the new stores at Charlemagne but also about this non-payment of healthcare workers. EWN reporter Alpha Ramashwana is at the hospital for us where that handover is taking place today. Alpha, good afternoon to you. The Minister of Health, Dr. Joe Pahla, uh, the Gauteng Health MEC, uh, Nomantun Komoralakoko, uh, is there today. Also the gift of the givers, Dr. Imtiaz Suleiman, because they gave 60 million rand towards the new stores. Tell us what's happening. Good afternoon, Mandy. Yes, well, they are about to cut the ribbon and unveil uh, the new dispensary stores right about now in a few minutes. And you are right, this is attended by the health minister and health MEC as well as uh, the gift of the givers people. And I think it's very important, Mandy, to highlight that 
the fire that started or that destroyed the old storage rooms uh, started in the dispensary rooms. So it's very important that the, the new ones that are built are equipped with the necessary fire technology that will limit the extent of the damages should another fire erupt maybe in the next uh, coming years. So I did speak to Gift of the Givers uh, founder, MTR Suleiman, who did say that their engineers made sure that they equipped the building with uh, equipment that will make sure that the extent of the damages should they be a fire is not uh, as bad as it was. I mean, you would know that the damages here are extensive, even got to other wards, got to most parts of the hospital, and it has indeed severely affected how the hospital functions and works. But let's take a listen to what uh, Dr. Suleiman had to say. But besides upgrading the stores, you know, and replacing the stores, we wanted to make something far better than what there was before. And we, we say that we should set a standard that whenever you're repairing hospitals or infrastructure, it must be substantially better than what was before. And in the process, we found a disused dining room. Thanks to the CEO of the hospital, Ms. Gladys Bokoshi, this dining room used to be serving all the staff of the hospital, but hasn't been in use for many years. One of the key principles was fire safety. So when the fire team came in, they said, this building is not fire safe at all. And it's the most expensive part of this building is the fire security measures. Ladies so we, we brought in an engineering team and they, 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 uh, they, they make sure that every aspect is, is, is was outstanding, okay. it's world class. That's Dr. Imtiaz Suleiman from Gift of the Givers. Thank you to Alfred Ramashwana for bringing us uh, that. This is a great example. I suppose you could call it a public-private partnership uh, where we're seeing this cooperation between civil society in this instance, Gift of the Givers, contributing 60 million rand towards the new stores. And I'm always a big advocate of this. I feel that, and it's something actually that Imtiaz Suleiman has said to me on multiple occasions, that you can't have 7 million South Africans paying tax for 60 million South Africans. It needs to be some kind of collaboration. Do you agree? Do you think that it should just be government? We, we're paying government. They should be doing these things themselves. Um, I, I think that there needs to be cooperation. There needs to be collaboration with civil society, with uh, the, the, the private sector as well. This is a great example of that. The Midday Report. And Darby is joining us now to chat about the RAND. But Darby, while I've got you, before we talk about the RAND, I was speaking about the value of public-private partnerships. I heard you on a platform speaking about this once, about how um, they're necessary, but we've basically privatized anything, everything anyway. Yeah, hello, good afternoon to you. Well, um, I think a public-private partnership is a bit of a contradiction because, you know, the state is supposed to provide certain services that are, and there's, the, there's certain tests that you can use to determine whether the state should be involved in certain provision of certain services and goods. And, and if the private sector can do that, so why get the, the state involved? So I think it's a little bit of a contradiction. There are certain tests, like, for example, where we can talk about it one day, but the, the state should be responsible for things like law and order and defense and the judiciary as an example but for most of the other things the the private sector can provide that and in the case of South Africa is that the state basically has collapsed just about everywhere and uh, they do not have much of a choice but to get the private sector in and to, 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 to provide some of these services that the state clearly cannot provide. So speaking of collapse, uh, the rand has uh, dropped again today. Last time I checked, it was at 19 rand 44 to the US dollar. It went down to, to 1945 last week. It recovered a little bit over the weekend. Uh, how's it doing now? 
Well, the, the Randys under tremendous pressure, but I think it's more of a case of the U.S. dollar going up. So when the U.S. dollar goes up, other things goes down, like, for example, the South African currency. And part of the reason why there's some support for the U.S. dollar at the moment is because their president, Biden, he uh, indicated that uh, the, the so-called debt ceiling of the problems that they have with their debt ceiling is not much of a problem, and they will resolve that. And the financial markets were the last couple of weeks, in fact, a little bit concerned about the so-called debt ceiling of the Americans. And now that the president indicated that it's less of a problem and there will be some sort of agreement between the two major political parties there, the dollar actually went up a bit. And if the dollar goes up, the rand goes down. But yeah. it should be added that the rand is still very, very weak. Even be, before this recent week, you know, the last couple of you know, the weakness with these currently, the rand was still completely and totally undervalued. For those people who do not understand economics, what is the American debt ceiling, Davi? The American debt ceiling is simply a limit on how much the American government can borrow. So their politicians, they, they set a certain limit. You can borrow so much money and not more. Uh, to, you know, but, but as always, what happens is that this is quite often used as a, as for politics and more than anything else. Now, at the moment, what has happened is that the Americans are reaching that debt ceiling, which means that they cannot borrow more money. And if they can't borrow more money, then they won't be able to, to pay off their debt and they won't be able to spend money on certain things. And because of that, the financial markets were quite quite jittery recently and the dollar came under some some pressure. Uh, but what happens in practice uh, is that usually they wait until no, number 99 and then there is some sort of agreement between the major political parties and they simply increase the debt ceiling, the so-called debt ceiling, and then, they, then it's business as usual. And I think that is what's going to happen now again. And the president indicated uh, that he's not concerned about that. And I think behind the scenes, the two major political parties are kind of coming to some sort of agreement to actually increase the debt right. ceiling. And that means that the Americans will not default on their debt. Okay. Darby, what's your outlook for the RAND? Do you think that it could get worse from here? Yeah, well, I've, I've got a little model that I run, uh, which uh, serves me well for many, many years. And, and uh, based on my model, and we can talk about that one day, how I do this, but the RAND should be trading at about 16 and a half to the US dollar. And it's way off from that. It's three RAND weaker than it should be trading, where it's supposed to be trading. And based on that, I think the rand is likely to come back a little bit. But there are reasons why the rand are so weak. And some of the reasons are very weak economic growth, policy uncertainty, uh, uh, politics. And we all know about all those reasons. So my outlook still is that we just wait for the, the dust to settle a little bit. And I think the rand is going to come back. But I don't think it's going to come back to 16 and a half. And the best case kind of scenario, maybe 18 to the US dollar. And for the medium longer term, I think there's only one direction for the currency with our current policies that we have in place in South Africa, and that is for a weaker currency, I'm afraid to say. Mm. Darby, thank you as always. Darby Rua, Chief Economist at the Efficient Group, speaking to us about the RAND. The Midday Report. Well, let's go to the capital now because the city of Tswane today are holding the State of the Capital Address. Tabiso Koba, EWN reporter, is there for us. Tabiso, good afternoon to you. Uh, Sidious Brink, the mayor of Tswane, what's been happening there? Good afternoon, Mandy. Well, I'll tell you that, Mandy, you know, before the State of the City Address, um, the mayor, Sidious Brink, um, you know, released a message and said this won't be a normal state of the city address that we are used to, where obviously, you know, the mayor goes up there and makes a number of promises. Instead, Celia Brink says, you know, what he's going to go there is give a brutal assessment of the state of the city. And we do know that the state of the capital, the China municipality, is that it is in a dire financial strait. And that is why 
by the, the mayor said, you know, there has been uh, at least two experts from National Treasury that have been, uh, that are coming to the city to improve its internal financial controls. Um, he said that, you know, uh, a, a, a CFO, a chief financial officer from National Treasury will also be, uh, will also come to the, to, the, to the municipality to assist them in sort of, you know, until a permanent one is, um, is, uh, is appointed. Um, but also, you know, I think this just goes to show of the financial uh, situation that the, the city is. There was also an admission by the mayor is that, you know, based on just how things are going, um, the 2022-2023 financial year, they're not going to receive um, a clean audit report uh, because obviously there's still um, a number of issues that are still outstanding from the previous one, which obviously led to the resignation of Randall Williams as mayor and the resignation of the former CFO, Maud Banda. So this is just that, you know, um, just on, on the number of um, the key issues here from the mayor was that, you know, he wants to stabilize the city's finances and, um, you know, he's going to get, he's going to take all the help he can get, even if it is, you know, from National Treasury, um, the government. Tabiso, thank you very much. Tabiso Goba, EWN reporter who is attending the State of the Capital Address. Silas Brunk speaking there. The Midday Report. Well, let's go to the High Court in Joburg because today is a continuation of uh, that case between the former president, Jacob Zuma, and the current president, Cyril Ramaphosa, around the private prosecution. Ramaphosa has brought this application arguing that Zuma's legal bid is unlawful and the formal notices that the NPA issued do not relate to him. So, um, closing argument happening today. Bernadette Wicks, EWN reporter, there for us. Bernadette, good afternoon to you. Tell us about what's been said. Well, um, Dalian Porfu, for the former president, was still addressing the court this morning, um, and his submissions really focused on um, standing issues where essentially the former president takes issue with the current president bringing this application as the president and not in his personal capacity. And that's quite a confusing confusing argument, but essentially what um, Advocate Porfu argued today was that only a human being can commit an offence um, and essentially that he should have obviously bought this application in his personal capacity. We must remember that that argument is linked up to their argument that um, the state attorney's office shouldn't be assisting the current president with this application, which they persisted with um, today. And then Advocate Mpofi did get into kind of the merits of this application a bit, and he addressed um, the current president's uh, essentially his arguments in terms of the way that the summonses were issued. He, he takes issue with the Nali Prosecui certificates um, that the former president relied on, and he takes issue with the security deposit not having been paid um, ahead of time. And so as a result, he says that the, the registrar issued the summonses for him improperly. Um, they've kind of uh, addressed those issues, but I must say that Advocate and Porphy, when it comes to that that specific issue of the of the, of the registrar issuing, issuing that summons, he really just kind of dismissed it as something that didn't need a lot of time. When it comes to security, he says security has now been paid, um, and essentially he relies on the fact that in the High Court they weren't too concerned with the security issue, um, or at least in the High Court when they were dealing with the interim um, the interim interdict, they weren't too concerned with the with the security issue. 
Bernadette, thank you for wrapping that all up for us. Bernadette Wicks, EWN reporter in court, where the former president and the current president in his personal capacity is uh, busy of their closing arguments, final arguments happening there. All of that to do with the challenge of the private prosecution bid. The Midday Report. Well, let's go to KZN now because the Deputy President, Paul Mashatile, today and tomorrow leading a two-day oversight visit to KZN in both the Etiquini Metropolitan Municipality uh, and the Umgungundlovo District Municipality, I tried my best, to engage with various stakeholders in sectors such as education and trading, agriculture, commerce and industry as well. And Frankla Mabaso, KZN's EWN reporter, following the Deputy President for us. And Frankla, good afternoon to you. Uh, tell us about what the Deputy President is doing, what he been seeing and what he been saying. Well, good afternoon, Mandy. The Deputy President started in Eshongwedi, that's in the west of Eden, just near the entry highway. That's where um, the, the soldiers currently underway. We do know that the national government will throw in about 500 billion rand into that particular project. Um, uh, you know, he spoke about how much this is going to create job opportunities for young people, particularly in the area of Etagiri. But as we speak, we are currently in the Sigara. This is where the uh, Department of Agriculture operates. Uh, the deputy president is currently inspecting some of the plants and some of the livestock that is currently being freed here. We also seen the manufacturing of marijuana that is currently underway here. He will shortly be briefing members of the media. He has not spoken to journalists yet, but of course, been speaking to people under these different stalls. He's been uh, raising, you know, um, you know, praising the provincial government. He's also encouraged ministers mainly to say, much as this is a provincial government initiative, ministers should not hesitate to throw in funds, saying, and I quote, as much as national government does not have money, but it is a need that such money be thrown into such projects, close quote, maybe. Now, we've seen maybe some of the... Ntrakla, you with us? Some of the work under... There we go. Sorry, we lost you for a bit. I'm sure it's the area that you're in. You can carry on. Well, indeed, man, the uh, network is a bit bad here, given the load shedding around this particular area. But uh, yeah, some of the young people really better beneficiaries of this particular project. You know, they've been expressing gratitude, saying that um, this will work for them into a greater extent, saying that even though such projects of building, you know, these malls and, and these complexes around here may choose, but for them, this certificate will carry them into a long uh, future and plans, really, is that uh, the deputy president will be continuing doing the same thing tomorrow morning, but tomorrow he will be in the Umkungundu district, which is between Peter Maritzburg and the Hilton area. Maybe. And Klakla, thank you. And Klakla Mabaso, KZN EWN reporter, speaking there about the Deputy President Paul Mashatile on an oversight visit to KZN, uh, as he explained in Etiquini today in Mgungundlovu uh, District Municipality tomorrow. The Midday Report. That's a wrap of the day's news. Don't forget you can catch the full Midday Report live on 702 and Cape Talk via our streams on YouTube and our website 702.co.za and capetalk.co.za. Keep checking in for updates from my colleagues at Eyewitness News. Till the next time, I'm Mandy Wiener. Latest news, breaking stories, expert analysis. All you need to know. This is the Midday Report.